And let's pray one more time. Just I know I know the Lord wants to speak to you, and, and I know He wants to speak to me, and uh, we're gonna look look in into His Word and hear from Him. I know it. Father, we thank you for this day. Please speak to each one of us, Lord. And uh, thank you for your church gathered all around the world, Lord, meeting together, Lord, to hear your word and to be strengthened uh, by you and by it. Father, we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, guys, if you joined us last week, whether you watched online or you listened or you were here, um, we began Revelation 19. And this this is an amazing uh, section we've come into in, in Revelation. You know, uh, I, I, I have to be honest, you know, reading about the judgment that's coming to the world, uh, we've hit a lot of that in Revelation. Um, it's just hard to read. It's not like I pick up my Bible and my very favorite thing. Hold on a sec. Let's try that again. It's not like I pick up my Bible. We'll be, and I uh, just turned on Facebook Live because I forget about that too, but uh, we'll be in Revelation 19. All our, all of our journey through Revelation has been, I mean, it's, it's troubled me at times. You know, you read about the judgment that's coming to a world that has rejected its Savior, rejected the gift of God, rejected the light of the world, rejected the healer of nations, rejected the wonderful counsel. Counselor, the everlasting God. This is who this world has rejected. And God eventually says, have it your way. You can have what you want. And if I'm not that, you can have, you don't have to be the bride. We talked a lot about that last week. And I hope it carries over into our understanding of this chapter as it goes forward. You don't, if you don't want to be the bride, you don't want to be at the wedding. You don't want any part of that. You can have it your way. You can have the harlot. You can have that that you can have Babylon instead of Zion. We talked last week, you know, Revelation really is the story of two cities, Babylon and Jerusalem and, Z- and Mount Zion or the heavenly Jerusalem, the golden city. It's the story of two women, the harlot who rips people off and sells false love and false hope and false peace and false everything and the bride of Christ. You can, you can, be, in one, you can be in one camp or the other There's two suppers, and specifically Revelation 19 tells us about the wedding feast where the groomsmen or the the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, presents after the seven-year honeymoon of the church, he presents his bride so that everyone, even on the earth, can see the bride. And there's another supper. It's the supper that the birds, I mean, it's, it's, it's almost like I don't want to say it or read it, but it's the supper of the dead when the battle of Armageddon or the battle of Megiddo happens and the world under the direction of the Antichrist gathers to assault or to come one more time against Jerusalem and God's people, Jesus with his bride, you know, with the armies of heaven, it says, as we go further in chapter 19, is going to come back and destroy that gathered horde. And the birds of the air, we're not going to get this far today, are going to sup or have supper, eat the flesh of those that fall. So Revelation, the story of two cities, the story of two women, the story of two suppers, and two eternities are in view here. I'm sure you guys have seen that as we've gone along. 
But I want to talk more today about the bride of Christ. Let's start in chapter 19, verse 1, and we're going to read up through verse 10. And, you know, we covered most of this last week, so um, I'm not going to take the time to review everything. But understand that, you know, chapters 15, really 14 through 18, describe this world's kingdoms, this world's, uh, you know, government uh, under the direction of the Antichrist in rebellion to Jesus Christ. You know, remember the Antichrist is not so much, he is opposed to Jesus Christ, but he's the instead of Christ. He's the one that presents himself as God and demands worship. He's the one that comes back to life, as it were. And people marvel and they worship him and they love him. And, you know, even monetarily, they take his mark to pledge allegiance to him and to join his system or his kingdom or his, his world, his government. Now, when we've, as we've progressed through those chapters, we come, and it's not all chronological, and that can be difficult to understand, but as we come to chapter 19, understand there's like this turning point. For John is no longer just observing the destruction of Babylon, you know, the false religions of this world and the false, you know, uh, greed, the, the selfishness, the monetary system um, that people love. People love their stuff, but their stuff don't love them back. And ultimately, all of that, like Jesus said, um, all, of, all of that is going to fail. It's going to come to its end. And chapter 19 is a chapter of rejoicing where John, along with every believer, is in heaven rejoicing over what God has done, what he has accomplished, what he has brought to pass. So in chapter 19, verse 1, John says, After these things I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven, saying, Alleluia, praise God, the salvation and the glory and the honor and the power all belong to the Lord our God. Notice none of those is ascribed to us, right? All of those are ascribed to God. For true and righteous are his judgment. What he is doing is right. He's bringing the end to the great harlot because he has judged that great harlot whose aim is to rip people off. You know, God feels about, God feels this way about humanity. Just like we would never want our own children or our own loved ones to be ripped off and scammed and led to their own destruction, God feels that way for this world. So much, in fact, that he stepped into it to provide a way of escape, to provide a way out, to call to those like we looked at last week early in Proverbs, to the fool, to the simple, to call out and say, come get wisdom and understanding. Come to me. That call is all through the Bible. Come and get something to drink that will, you know, to eat and drink that will not cost you anything, Isaiah 55 says. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Come and drink. All of you who thirst, you'll find it in him. And so John and all believers are praising God in heaven. 
because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, her false love, her false promises, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. She, she ain't never coming back. Again, they said, Alleluia, praise God, who her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who sat on the throne, saying, Amen, so be it. Alleluia, praise God. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. Both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of many of, of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent or all-powerful reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. And now there's this, there's this word, guys, and it's, it's an amazing word. And we're going to talk about it a lot. He says, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his wife has made herself ready. The public unveiling of the bride of Christ, which is clearly the church, all through the New Testament referred to the, referring to the church, his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed or dressed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then... He said to me, this angel conveying this message said to me, Write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. You know, we're going to go just one more verse, but I'm going to hold off on that. And I know what you're thinking. And I, and I confess to you, I did forget the part that I was going to start with about Mother's Day. But it all comes together because you'll, you'll see. You'll see. So just wait for that. We're going to come back around to it. Okay? John hears from this angel. Write this down, John. Blessed, oh how happy. That's what blessed means. Like, and and not the the the, the circumstantial state of happiness. Like, you know, uh, you woke up and you had time for coffee and your kids slept in and you you're all ahead on all your chores. And you really, no, it's not a temp. It's not a circumstantial happiness. It's a fullness of joy that only is found in Jesus Christ. We can have complete joy. You know, fullness of joy only in him. Blessed, oh, how happy are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 22. For in Matthew 22, we read of another wedding and a wedding feast and invitations going out. And it helps make sense of what's going on here. We talked a lot about this wedding. We talked a lot about the symbolism last week. I encourage you to listen to that teaching. 
If uh, you feel like you're in the dark, go back and listen to it. It'll clear some, some of this stuff up as we've talked about the bride and the ceremonies that were common uh, in Galilee specifically in that day. But in Matthew 22, Jesus tells a parable, which is for us and for the hearers in that day. And he says, chapter 22 of Matthew, verse 1, Jesus, speaking to a mixed crowd of both his disciples and others, Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king, that would be the father, guys, who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding. You know, the servants of God, the prophets, those in the Old Testament that represented God, the Son, obviously we're speaking of Jesus Christ. Yes, this is a parable, but it, it's, it's, it's very true to life, as it were. He sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding. This wedding supper, the marriage of the Lamb, um, I believe is in part in view. Yes, this is a parable, but there's a, a greater point to this all. They were invited to the wedding. And yet, they were not willing to come. They weren't willing to come. They didn't want to. Again, showing persistence, showing diligence, wanting them to come, he sent out other servants saying, tell those who are invited, specifically speaking, I believe, of the nation of Israel, you know, the Hebrew people, tell those who are invited, see, come look, I have prepared my dinner. Everything is ready. My oxen and fatted cattle are killed and everything is ready. All things are ready. Come to the wedding. This this next part just is, is, this is not just about the nation of Israel because many of us and many of those around us have acted in this same way to this same invitation. They're just inviting to the wedding as guests. We're invited to the wedding as the bride since Jesus has come and already died on, died on the cross. But look, come to the wedding. But their response, they made light of it. It was a joke to them. And they went their ways, one to his own farm and another to his business. You know, they were indifferent to it. There's kind of three responses that people have, three negative responses. They were indifferent to the call. They were indifferent to what was coming, to the feast, to 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 come and enjoy it. Everything was ready, but they didn't care for it. They had their own things to do and attend to. Another to one to his farm, another to his business. Then there was a second group of antagonistic people. The rest, they seized his servants and they treated them spitefully and they killed them. And that was Israel's history. Um, that's the world's history. God has sent us many examples, many many spoke. Many John the Baptist, he sent his own son eventually. And we rejected, this world has rejected him. You know, uh, the rest seized, seized his servants. They treated him spitefully and they killed him. And when the king heard about it, he was furious. And he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. And that literally happened to the Jewish nation in 70 AD. Then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready. But those who were invited were not worthy because they wouldn't come. That's what made them not worthy. 
Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, really anybody, look for anybody, and as many as you find, invite them to the wedding. So the servants went out into the highways. They went anywhere. You know, you know uh, when I kind of think of it, you, you, you don't really, you're not looking for the best and brightest and cleanest and wisest by the highway, you know. But that's who they were sent out for, for anyone that would come. So the servants went out to the highways and they gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. And truly in heaven, that's going to be who's represented. There's going to be good people, you know, that are forgiven sinners. And there's going to be bad people that are forgiven sinners, washed, all invited, all responded. They showed up. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. You know, what this man was, whether he was good or whether he was bad, um, whether he was, you know, a derelict walking along the highway or a merchandiser, you know, it, it doesn't really tell us. All we know is he came to this wedding and he refused to change his clothes. You know, it was common in that day, especially if the poor and the, the, the you know, the refuse of society was invited, they wouldn't have a wedding garment and it was to be provided for them. And this man came, but he refused to change. So you have three groups of people in this parable. You have those that are indifferent to the wedding. You have those that are antagonistic, they're not coming and they refuse spitefully, you know, contemptuously the invitation and malign and mistreat the servants of God. And then you have a third guy. He comes, but he refuses to change at all. He rejects the gift of a garment that is to be provided for him. And so the king says to that man, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, many are called to have a place at the table, but few are chosen. You ever wonder about things like that? Well, few are chosen. What if God doesn't choose me? Well, don't refuse the call. Don't refuse the gift of change that he wants to bring into your life. Don't refuse him. Just show up. It's, it doesn't matter if you're good or bad. It doesn't matter. He's invited you to his wedding. You know, there should, I want to say this because it will help. I think your understanding has helped mine. You know, remember when John the Baptist compared himself to the friend of the bridegroom? He didn't say, I'm going to be the bride of the bridegroom. He said, I'm the friend of the bridegroom. And everybody before Jesus died on the cross was part of that, in a sense, category. They're invited to the wedding, but they're not the bride. Remember, Jesus said of John, John was the greatest prophet who ever lived, but the least in the kingdom would be greater than John. Well, that's because the bride, in any way, any one of us, is greater than John because we're part of the bride. We're not just a friend of the bridegroom. We're the object of Christ's love himself. 
there's, there's almost as if it were a different category. And so as we read, you know, come to the bridegroom, the wedding guests, you know, those invited, many of those are those from the time before Christ, believers, those that put their faith ahead of time, as it were, in Jesus Christ. But what we belong to, guys, is so special. We're called the bride of Christ. We're called the bride of Christ. And back back to, you know, to Revelation, you know, in verse 9, this angel says to John, write this down. Oh, how happy, how gloriously happy are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that's anybody. That's whether you're going there as a guest, an invited one, or especially, I would say, and especially if you are the bride of Christ. You're part of his church. You know, it's been said, it's commonly been said that blood and water flowed out of Jesus Christ on the cross. Remember when they punctured, uh, the Roman soldiers punctured his side to check, to inspect if he was really dead. And they punctured that area around his heart where it had broken, where it had failed him and blood and water came out. It's been commonly said that on the cross was where the church was born and bought and bled for. It's a purchased possession. But it's not like... Let's talk about moms for a second, just because we should. And uh, it's a perfect time to do this. Moms out there, right? Let's, let's kind of go, let's kind of go wide scale, because I say moms, and that, that leaves out some of you that are doing what a mom does, but maybe you don't have your own children or you haven't had children or you won't have children, right? Uh, my sister kind of, my sister and her husband, many of you guys know this, uh, were unable to have kids, but still she has done the work of a mom without ever giving birth to an actual child, right? So this is going to sound like a segue because I was supposed to do this, at, or not a segue, but I was supposed to do this at the beginning, but would you guys turn for a second? We're not going to be jumping everywhere, but for a little bit we, we will because the point needs to be made. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, would you open there, 1 Timothy 2, verse 15. There's this really cryptic, really misunderstood, really, man, in some ways it's difficult verse about women. Um, you know, I can see somebody hearing this for the first time being like, what did that just say? That is, that's the most chauvinistic verse I've ever heard. If that's in the Bible, I don't want any part of it. But just hang with me, guys. Uh, chapter 2 of first timothy verse 15 you know it's talking about differences between men and women especially in the church but i just want to focus on verse 15 it says women will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith love and holiness with self-control so what does that mean (laughs) you know does that mean that you have to have your own birth children to be saved if you're a lady. Uh, no, not even close. What does it mean, guys? Well, think about moms. Think about what they do. Think about how they love. What makes a mom a mom? You know, for instance, John, uh, and you don't have to turn there, but in uh, 3 John, what is it, verse 4, 
John, who I believe never was actually married, whether he was or wasn't that, you know, I don't know. I don't have any, we don't have any information on John the apostle, John the disciple ever getting married. And yet he said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Who were his children? Were they literal? Were they physical, biological kids? I think not. And what this verse, you know, 1 Timothy 2.15, it, it describes something that women, you know, or moms specifically, they understand as part of God's character, God being love. Moms have latched onto this idea or, or, or are this, that they pour into other people's lives. And it's not all about what they're going to get back because much of it is thankless, selfish, uh, selfless, mundane. Sorry, not selfish. Correct me. You know, Gabe's laughing it up. Um, selfless, mundane. I mean, they're just servants from the very beginning, from, you know, breastfeeding on. They are just serving everywhere, right? Now, how does what does this have to do with Jesus being, you know, the bride of Christ? We'll get there, right? It all comes back around. You guys remember that in 2 Timothy, Paul does this shout out and he says, you know what changed Timothy's life long before I came into it? His grandmother, Lois. His mom, Eunice. And, and not because they were just where he came from physically, because they understood and gave to Timothy something that shaped his whole life. They did it selflessly. They did it wonderfully. You know, I can tell you, and it's not because I'm a workaholic or I'm never home. It's because my responsibility, according to Scripture, is to work and provide for my family. And yes, that includes, and and, and very specific includes, I need to spend a lot of time with my kids. But guess who in our household spends the most time with our five kids? Jess does. Guess who has such a great, you know, the greatest opportunity with them, the most time, the most time to influence them? My wife does. There's something wonderful that she has that she shows our kids. Remember, you know, in 2 Timothy, after that shout out to to Lois and Eunice, you know, Timothy's grandmom and uh, mom, that Paul says to Timothy, You must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. I hope you didn't tune all that out. He said that you know who you learn this stuff from. Who's he talking about? Lois and Eunice. Yeah, Paul had a great influence in Timothy's life. But Lois and Eunice poured into this boy from childhood and taught him the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And you know who started that? You know, you know who was faithful to start that in Timothy's life? Mom and grandma. And you can even do that. It doesn't have to be your birth child or your birth grandchild. You can do that for anybody, just like John had spiritual children, as it were, right? He, he, there was no greater joy in his life than to see his kids walk in the truth. You know, how is a woman saved? You know, 1 Timothy 2.15 
She has the heart of a mom. She pours into everyone around her. You know, as I look around the parking lot, I see a lot of women that embody that. Keep it up because you may not feel like a Paul, like, you know, like you're going to be in the Hall of Fame in heaven. But I think there's going to be a lot of moms with incredible reward in heaven that have poured into thoroughly equipping their children, whether it seems like it or not at the time, for a life of service and love and joy walking with the Lord. That's what you're called to. And how does that relate back to the marriage supper of the Lamb, the bride of Christ, the bridegroom? Well, you know, you guys remember early in Revelation, and I know it seems like I'm helter-skelter today, but if you know me, that's, that's how it is. At least you're not married to me. <laughs> Jess has to put up with this all the time. You remember in Revelation 4, especially in the King James, uh, verse 11, just listen, right? You don't have to turn there. Remember in heaven there's this great praise session going on where people are worshiping God. Uh, you know, the elders are there, the cherubim are worshiping, the believers that have been raptured are worshiping. And they say, Thou art worthy. You're so worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. I love the way the King James says this specifically. I think something got left out in the New King James. It's just not, I just love the way it says it here. For thou, God, you're worthy to receive glory and honor and power, for you have created all things. And this this verse, or this part, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. For thy pleasure they are and were created. All things were created. Hey, who here is a new creation in Christ? I'm a new creation in Christ. I was created by God, born again, born from above. He is transforming my heart. He's renewing my mind. That's his work. And you know what this tells me? This tells me that he, all of this is being done for his pleasure. Doesn't that sound a little bit sadistic? Like it's all about him. He gets it all. We get nothing. No glory, no honor, no power. No, no, no. no. Understand it's just like a mom having a child. You know what gives my wife the most, well, this is true, it's hard, but she would say the same thing. What gives her the most joy, what brings her the most fulfillment is to see our kids successful, to see them filled with God's love, to see them served, to see them taken care of, to see them filled with joy, to see them enjoying life. Her, her, she is satisfied in giving herself away for the best in her kids, to bring the best out of them. And that is what, the, that is what this wedding is all about. You guys know, like, we, we, we read Scripture. We read in Scripture of, like, lots of people falling at the feet of Jesus, right? Everybody agree with me? We see this lots of times, worshiping, falling at the feet of Jesus. You know when we get to heaven, we're going to do the same thing. But you know what he's going to do? I really believe this. He is going to pick us up and say, a bride, you know, my bride does not belong at my feet. My bride can sit next to me. My bride can enjoy everything that I have for her. He is going to give to us, serve us eternally. And it's all for his pleasure because the thing that brings him the most joy, the most satisfaction is providing, loving, taking care, rescuing his bride. That's why I love him. That's the God we serve. And that's, 
in a small way what a father, you know, Father's Day's coming up, guys. We'll, we'll hit this again. Or a mom that is loving like God. That, that's what she's doing. She's giving herself away, but loving every second of it. And just like with a mom, Jesus experienced some difficulty in going to the cross, but he said, I'm going to the cross, but I'm actually going to glory. This is glorious for me. And that's who he is, guys. That's the bride of that's who the bridegroom is. You like that tangent? That was that was my mom tangent. I hope it made sense to you. Because when this angel said, and like I said, we're just doing these two verses, guys. When the angel said in in chapter 19 in Revelation to John, he said, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You know, John suddenly, I mean, he's been a man that's served God his whole life. He's been a man that's walked with him, that's known him. That that. But But now, John, I believe is blown away by the fact that he is not just some, you know, you know, peon servant that's like going to be up in heaven, like, you know, mopping the floor, whistling gospel songs, right? He is going to be the bride of Christ, the object of God's love. That's who we get to be if we would turn away from the false love and the, 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 the fakeness of this world. And latch on to him, that we would dwell with him. John hears this message about the marriage supper of the Lamb. And the angel says, this is the true sayings of God. This is the truth about what God is doing. This is where it all leads, John. You're the bride. You're the bride. You've accepted the cup of proposal. You've waited for me, and I have returned. I've carried you away, and I've built you a dwelling place attached to my Father's house. You waited patiently. This is the blessed hope. You're the bride. We can be the bride of Christ. And John's response to this, notice this, he fell at the feet of this angel to worship him. He fell at the feet of an angel to worship him. And the angel said to him, he said to me, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. You know, throughout the Bible, listen, I want to drive this point home because I've been I've been told this so many times. Somebody comes up to me, they walk up to you, they're carrying a Bible. They know lots of stuff. They know spiritual phrases and they say, look, Dude, you should come to our church. We have the real truth. Jesus, and they're never going to say this. They're going to say Jesus is God. Jesus is like God. Jesus. But when you really get down to it, they're going to say, well, Jesus is an angel. No, Jesus is not an angel. All through his life, Jesus received worship. And the, the first commandment is worship God only. Only him shall you serve. Don't worship anybody else. Worship only God. Jesus received worship from healed lepers. He received worship from, you know, a a man who he healed his son. He received worship from his disciples after he walked on water. He received worship from a Canaanite woman, a demoniac, a man that was born blind. He received worship from all of his disciples after the resurrection. And this angel says, don't you dare worship me. Worship God. Jesus is not an angel. Jesus received worship. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. And I love what the end of what 
you know, verse 10 says, this angel says, look, I too have the testimony of Jesus. You know, what is your testimony really? What is really your testimony? You figured it all out and you got a little more spiritual and you got a little better and you cleaned up your act and you came to God and he said, well, that's close enough, I'll take you in. No, no, no. Our testimony is entirely what God did for us. He is the focal point of everything. What God, what Jesus did on the cross is the reason, the testimony, the, the story of why I am alive today, why I have been renewed on the inside. He is responsible for everything. My testimony, every created thing's testimony is that Everything had its genesis in God. You know, and this angel reminds John, look. We have the testimony of Jesus. So we ought to worship him. You know, I'll share this real quick. I am kind of over the focal point for church, churches right now, being the coronavirus. Now, I hate even to use that word and bring our attention back to it. Our focal point is never down on this plane. Our focal point is Jesus Christ. When we fix our eyes on him, we will have, Isaiah says, perfect peace. You know, this angel says, don't look at me. Don't, I mean, as great as he is, as great as this angel is, and angels are great. He said, don't, don't give me any glory. Give it all to the one who rescued you, saved you, is, you know, the point of it all. You know, there's one focal point to eternity, and that's Jesus Christ. There's one place where everything makes sense. You know, uh, be anxious for nothing, but in all things by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests made known to God. And the peace of God, listen, which passes, surpasses understanding. That means it does not matter what's going on around you. The peace of God will guard your hearts in here and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's one focal point. There's one place where it all makes sense. And I want to just finish with this. There's one person. There's one person. And that's Jesus Christ. You know, Psalm 27 there says, um, I'll just read it to you. David wrote, There's one thing I've desired of the Lord, one thing, and that I am going to seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. There's one purpose man was created for, to behold the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple, to have a relationship with him. And for in the time of trouble, he will hide me in his pavilion. He'll take care of me in the secret place of his tabernacle. He shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. And being set there, being in the household of God, being in the family, not just as a servant, not just even as a son or daughter, but the object of his love, the bride of Christ. Now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. All the people that are going to say, well, you don't deserve that kind of love from God. You're right, we don't. What kind of love is this that the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God? You could say rightly that, you know, that verse might have as well said, you know, what kind of love is this that 
the husband, the groomsman, the, 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 not the groomsman, the, the bridegroom should call us the bride. Look at us. But that's his choice. That's his love. He is the focal point of it all. Now my head, back in Psalm 27, shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer the sacrifice of joy or praise in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. I love this line. And when you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Man, that's the bridegroom calling out to us, guys. That's God calling out to us. That's him saying, look, there's one testimony, there's one reason that you are who you are. There's one thing to pay attention to. There's one thing to pursue. And that's Jesus Christ. You know, this angel says, worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. You want to know what the Bible's about? You want to know what prophecy is about? You want to know what the rapture is about? You want to know what eternity is about? It's about the person of Jesus Christ. It's about us worshiping God. It's about us receiving the love that he has for us as if we were his bride for eternity. Look, I'm going to finish with this. What I don't like and what happens so easily in my heart is I love ideas. I love concepts. I love principles. I love, you know, before I was a Christian, all of those things were like God is some kind of force. He's out there. I don't really know him. He's impersonal. You know, he's an idea. He's something that people use to kind of live better lives. None of that is really the focal point of the Bible. The focal point is a personal relationship, intimacy with Jesus Christ. You know, if I told you, and I'm, I'm hoping I don't say too much here, but if I told you, if I use the word objectification, right? Like, can we all, we all understand what that word, it means to take something that's real and beautiful and living and alive and treat it as if it were an object, right? That was my past life, right? In not so many words, I'm not really going to describe it all to you. That was my past life, objectification of everything, we cannot do that to God. God is not an object. He's not an idea. He's not a principle. He's not a force. He is a person. He's a being that we were created to enjoy and to learn from and walk with forever. He's never going to be an object. We were created for fellowship with God, for his pleasure. Just like moms and dads, you had children because you, you long for closeness, intimacy, relationship, wonderful things within your family, with your own kids. Don't you see the picture that we have here, as, as imperfect as it is? That is what God longs for. You know, next week we're going to go through Jesus' return. We're going to go through him coming back on a white horse with his bride, you know, taking out everybody that would try to destroy his bride. That's the kind of uh, bridegroom that he is. You know, we're going to look at the defeat of the beast or the Antichrist and the false prophet. We're going to look at Satan being bound for 1,000 years and talk about, you know, who is going to be there for the 1,000 years. What is it going to be like on earth? It's going to be amazing. Um, but wh why is there a time? Why is there even a 1,000 years? Why is Satan released again? All of these answers are going to come as we go through the rest of Revelation.
and see the plan of God continuing to unfold for his bride. Guys, let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this time in your word. Lord, I thank you for bringing us together. Look forward to doing this again, Lord. We pray for our country, for our nation, for our for our governor, Lord, for wisdom for her, Lord, and uh, that you would come to know you. For all of our leaders, Lord, and, and the crisis that they've experienced, the difficulty that this has been to them. Lord, we pray for wisdom in how to go forward as a church, Lord, to both be a witness to our community, to be loving, to be sensitive to needs, but also, Lord, serious about getting together because you have called us to gather um, in your name. Lord, bless each one of these families that's come out today and just help them to understand these things that we've that we've read through and what your word is all about. It's all about you. Father, we, we love you and we thank you. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Hey, grace and peace, guys. Uh, take take a minute. Uh, visit, uh, you know, car to car. Stay in your cars best you can. And uh, you know, the service is over, so I'm off the hook. You do what you do what you think is right. Um, God bless you guys. <laughs>